0: Well, good evening. Good to see you all tonight. I'm glad to be with you. What a gorgeous place. What a great setting. I understand. How many weeks, Shay, do you do this? Four Four weeks. And I'm what? Number four? Number two? What a joy to be here, and I'm glad to be a part of River of Life in this place, and I hope to be an encouragement to you. Listen, what I want to do tonight is give you some life advice. Um, There's one book in the Bible that is written for you. The whole Bible's written for you, but one book specifically says it's written for you, and that's the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says it's designed by God to help young people gain wisdom and discretion, the ability to see things as they ought to be seen from God's perspective, how to live life, how to grow up how to mature, how to maximize. The book of Proverbs is written for young people so they'll become what God wants them to be, so that they'll flourish and they'll maximize. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bible tonight, Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23, and I want to give you some advice. Coming from the Word of God, that hopefully will provide you a foundation, a conviction that will drive a lot of the choices that you make in life. Now, I don't know what the best advice you've ever been given would be. And I, I teach a Bible study in my backyard. Um, it doesn't have a river behind it, but it has lights over top like this. Um, And I I walk around, and I want you to engage with me, if you will. I know we don't know each other. I am the campus pastor at the Master's University. I know I'm old, but I like young people, and I enjoy uh, engaging with you. So lecture is not my favorite thing. You'll hear me preach on Sunday if you're at church, and that's a one-way communication. But tonight, I'd like to just engage your thinking a little bit. Advice. What is the best advice you've ever been given? the best advice you've ever been given. You thinking about it? Got something in your mind? Anybody wanna hazard, uh, take a risk tonight? Say, hey, I'll tell you about the best advice I've ever been given. Anybody wanna help us with the advice that helped you? Yeah, go for it. Treat people the way you wanna be treated. Treat people the way you want to be treated. You might find that in the Bible somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good advice, great advice. Somebody else. Good advice. Best advice you ever got. Yes, sir. Be what? Be good. (laughs) That is good advice. Sounds like something a parent would say, right? Be good. A couple more. Good advice. Yes, sir. Serve the Lord. That is great advice. Be good. Serve the Lord. Treat others as you would want to be treated. One more. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like a parent. <laughs> Was that a parent who told you that? Yeah. yeah, a parent. Get a job. I remember my football coach gave me some great advice. Uh, I played college football and before that high school football. And he said, deliver the blow. Deliver the blow. I want to give you advice. If you're going to be a football player, you can't take the hit. you got to make the hit. My flight instructor said, uh, he said, Harry, feel it. You don't fly an airplane just by the numbers. You got to feel it. Good advice. I uh, served one summer in the inner city of Los Angeles uh, with a gentleman by the name of E.V. Hill. Dr. E.V. Hill was a contemporary of Dr. Martin Luther King, a name you would know. E.V. Hill is a very famous African-American pastor. I had the privilege of spending a summer with him in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, I got to ride out with Dr. Hill to... uh, Channel 40 at that time in Tustin, he was on the television, uh, was being inter- he was actually preaching, and I gave my testimony on TV with him, and we were traveling back from Tustin to his church. and um, I said, "Dr. Hill, very famous, great pastor, big church, South Central Los Angeles. I'm a seminary student. Dr. Hill, if there's anything you could tell me, what would you tell me? What advice would you give me?" He said, Harry, and I'll try to say it the way it sounded to me. Harry, Harry, go slow. He said, you preacher boys, you want to go too fast. He said, now listen to this. speedboats, boats, they get out of the harbor fast. But they don't go very far. But them big boats, they take a while to get out of the harbor. But when they get out of the harbor, they go far. <laughs> Can you tell? I never forgot that. That's that's when i 59, so I'm talking maybe almost 40 years ago. That was great advice, unforgettable advice. Harry, go slow. I want to give you some better advice. It's better because it comes from the wisest man alive. Other than Jesus Christ, he's considered the wisest man ever. Do you know who we're talking about? Solomon. People came from around the world to visit with him. And he wasn't just wise about life stuff. He knew animal stuff and nature stuff. He wrote over 3,000 proverbs. He actually wrote 1,005 songs. The song of songs in the Bible, the song of Solomon, is his greatest hit. Solomon was a talented, gifted by God with wisdom, king of Israel. He was profoundly wise. He was blessed with wealth and wisdom. And he provides wisdom for his people and particularly for his children, his sons, in the book of Proverbs. He gives advice. I want to point you to one of the critical kind of heart value advice precepts he gives in the book of Proverbs. Now, you may not know a lot about Proverbs, 31 chapters, and here's a good practice. You ought to do a chapter a day as a young person. Pick the calendar day. What's today? The 30th. Do Proverbs chapter 30 today. If it's a 31-day month, then do Proverbs chapter 31 tomorrow. What's July 1st tomorrow, isn't it? So you'll have to sneak it in. But there's great, great value in doing a proverb a day, gaining wisdom. Proverbs is three sections. The first nine chapters involves the value of something most people don't value, the value of wisdom. Matter of fact, why don't we start, uh, look with me first in Proverbs chapter 3. Now, let me just set the stage for the advice I'm about to give you, which is really advice from him to us tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, which kind of captures the centerpiece of the purpose of these first nine chapters. The exaltation, the extolling, the valuing of something that many people don't value, and that is wisdom. Look at verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 3. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Value of wisdom, better than anything that you could desire. Better than great riches. He goes on to say. Turn over to chapter 8. Again the value of wisdom. Just some highlights. Does not wisdom call. This is verse 1 chapter 8. Does not wisdom call. And understanding lift up her voice. On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Now, just pause for a minute. Let me tell you what he's saying. Wisdom is available at the crossroads of life where the paths meet. You got to go, hey, am I going right or left? Am I going right? Wisdom is there calling out. I'll give you instruction. I'll tell you where to go. Then it goes on to say, verse three, beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she, wisdom, cries out. Now, the gates of the city is where big decisions were made city wide decisions, important decisions, life changing decisions, community changing decisions. At the crossroads of life, decision points in life, and at the most important decision places of life, what does wisdom do? It calls out. Wisdom says, I'm available to give you perspective. Now, let me just uh, pause for a minute. What is wisdom? What is he talking about? Wisdom is God's perspective. Wisdom is seeing things from his perspective, the truth about where you are, the truth about where you need to go, and the truth about the best way to get there. Let me give you an illustration that I hope will help you understand what wisdom is, because in our culture, and particularly among your generation, wisdom is not understood. A lot of things are valued. But wisdom is not valued. Proverbs begins by saying, hey, whatever you could want, there's nothing more valuable than this. Nothing you desire compares with it. Better than silver, better than gold, better than great wealth is the value of wisdom. So what is it? You go to Pizza Hut or some Place where you eat and you wait for your food. At the Pizza Hut, there's a placemat. On the placemat, there's games for children to play while they're waiting for the food to be delivered. On most placemats at most Pizza Huts and other restaurants as well, where they have kids' meals, there are typical games, and one of those games, one of those kind of keep you entertained and involved while you're waiting for your food, is a maze. You know, where you start here and you've got to get there and you've got to work your way through this maze. You've got to work your way through. It's a challenge. The ability to do that at Pizza Hut while you're looking down on a mat is your ability to do it from an over, high, or above perspective. The reason you can do That challenge is because of your perspective. You know where you are. You know where you need to go. And even though there's a maze, you can see where you need to go because of the perspective you have. Wisdom is the overview perspective that God has. I served in Alabama, as Shea said, for 27 years. In Destin, Alabama, which is down on the Gulf Coast. There is a real-life, real-size maze. It's for entertainment. And the walls are as high as that screen. They are solid. You pay money to go into the maze to find your way out of the maze. It covers over two blocks. When you walk in, the goal is to be the first person in your group to find their way through the maze. It's fun for a while. What happens, however, is you realize I paid real money to frustrate (laughs) myself. Because you can't see, all the walls are high, you're walking down the maze, trying to find your way, and you end up with one dead end after another dead end, and you think, oh, people are going that way. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. So you're walking your way through. And it's frustrating because you're going from one dead end to another dead end. I took my staff, my pastoral staff, 10 of us, through the maze. One guy didn't participate, Drew. He's our senior adults pastor. He's 80. He can do what he wants. He goes up and stands in the tower and watches the joy and fun of the maze pursuers. Well, Eventually, I decided that I'd had all the fun I could stand. And I looked up to Drew and I said, Drew, help me. Tell me where to go. And Drew, I will make it worth your while. So Drew coached Harry through the maze. Make a right, make a left. No, 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 don't go that way, go this way. First guy out of the maze, my staff. I know I cheated. I used Drew. But you know what Drew was? Drew was wisdom to me. Drew could see what I couldn't see. I knew where I started. I didn't know exactly where I was going, and I certainly didn't know the best way to get there. I knew the goal was to get there. I just didn't know how to get there. So I would look up at Drew and say, hey, coach me. Wisdom is what Drew was providing Harry. Wisdom is God's perspective in the reality of life so that you know where you are, you know where you need to go, and at the critical junctures of life, You have guidance from God. Wisdom is God's perspective about life. And when you come to crossroads, wisdom calls out. What does it say? Listen to me. At the big decision points of life, what does wisdom say? Listen to me. Where do you get wisdom? Proverbs chapter 2. Wisdom comes from the Lord. God gives wisdom. Wisdom is more valuable than anything you can desire. Matter of fact, chapter 8 goes on to say, verse 10, Take my instruction and not silver, knowledge rather than choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. And then, Chapter 8 goes on to say, why? Because wisdom is what God used to make the world. Wisdom was his tool, if you will, to manufacture the world. Wisdom was in the beginning with God, and it was the instrument that God used to create everything that you see. Wisdom is available, and it's valuable. And the source of it is God. And the means to it is the wisdom provided in chapter 23, where Solomon says the next section of Proverbs is 365 little Proverbs called couplets and 16 epigrams. Now, an epigram is... Is an inscription. It be like going into a, a graveyard and reading things that are carved in stone, meant to mark your life so you don't forget it. An apex epigram, an installment, an inscription comes in Proverbs 23, the second section. And it's the advice I want to give you tonight. It's Solomon's advice. And the reason I point you to it is because it's the big, emphatic yes of Proverbs 23. There's some no's in Proverbs 23, things that you shouldn't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stay away from this. Stay away from that. Some necessary no's, I would call them. But there's one big emphatic yes. Do this. Whatever you do, like an inscription on a gravestone, on your heart, carved into your mind mind and spirit, do this. That's the advice I want to give you tonight. So Proverbs chapter 23, let me read it to you. And this is the advice I want to offer tonight. I want to make some comments about it. And I'm offering it because it's God's advice given to us from Solomon, the wisest man alive. And this is what he says, Proverbs 23, 23. A big emphatic yes A way to say it is, hey, if you don't get anything else, make sure you do this. Verse 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. One verse, one main thought, buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, which is the truth applied to life. Get instruction, that's training in the truth. Get understanding, that's comprehension that's given to you from your knowledge of the truth. Buy the truth and don't sell it. So here's my advice tonight. Young person, the wisest man alive at the time, world-renowned, says buy the truth and don't sell it. Get the wisdom that comes from it. Get instruction in the truth. Get understanding, the ability to apply the truth. Buy the truth and don't sell it. So I want to talk about that a little bit and I want to end with a few truths you got to buy and build your life on. If you're going to buy the truth, the first thing that has to happen is you have to know what the truth is. You have to know what you're buying. Secondly, you have to value it enough to buy it. Let me begin by talking about what the truth is. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate in John chapter 18? Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus said, I'm a king. And I came specifically to bear witness to the truth. What is the truth? So let's go back to interactive. Let's talk truth. What is truth? What is it you're buying? You're not going to buy something if you don't know what it is or which it is you're trying to acquire. If you're going to buy truth, what is it you're going to buy? What is truth? It's a fact. It's reality. Do you know this? And and I don't know where you stand on this, but do you know eight out of 10 in your generation, say that truth is defined relatively according to your own personal preference and your own personal perspective? Let me, let me read you some things so you can hear it. This is eight out of ten in your particular generation say this, and I'm quoting, all truth is relative to the individual and his or her circumstances. Matter of fact, even seven out of ten of churched young people believe there is no absolute moral truth. The majority of young people from churches and homes today do not believe there's a truth outside of themselves that determines right from wrong. They do not believe there is a universal truth that is right for all people, in all places, at all times. They've been conditioned by our culture to believe that each individual has been given the right to say or do what that person thinks is best for him or her. This generation says they see truth in the area of religion and morality as a personal and private matter. They surmise that no one should be allowed to impose his or her own ideas of what is right or wrong. Bottom line is they have adopted a view that moral truth is not true for them until they choose to believe it. They believe that the act of believing makes things true. And then once they believe, those things will be true for them until they choose to believe something else. Truth is relative according to me. 70%. 68% 68% believe the truth is what works. If it works, it's true. If I perceive it to be that way, it's true. Truth is reality. It doesn't matter whether I believe it's true. It doesn't matter whether I perceive it's true. It doesn't matter if I think it works. The Hebrew word for truth means fidelity. Faithful, reliable to reality. Whatever reality is, this is a faithful expression of it. The truth is what is, not what I think it is, not what I perceive it is, not what works. It's not relative to me. It is absolute objective what is reality. It is faithful to reality. It is the way it is. Truth is fact. Truth is reality. Truth is objective. You can't make it the truth. You don't define it as the truth. God says, I give you the truth. The truth is the way things are. And God says, I provide information and perspective about the way things are. Why? Because I've given you the revelation of my word. Psalm 119.52 The sum of your law, the Bible, is the truth. Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible claims to be God's revelation of what is. The truth is reality. And in order to buy it, you have to know where to get it. And God says the truth is in his word and the truth is revealed in his son. The meaning of truth, something is true when it conforms to reality, when it accurately reflects what is. Truth is objective, not relative, not subjective. It is It is not true until you think it's true. It's true because it is true. And the source of truth is God's true revelation. His word is truth. Psalm 119, 142, your law is truth. Psalm 119, 151, all your commandments are truth. The sum of your word, Psalm 119, 160, is truth. Romans 2:20. your law is the embodiment of the truth. And then you have the person of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In him we receive grace upon grace and truth in Jesus Christ. All right. By the truth, you got to know what it is. By the truth, you got to know where it is you got to know where it is. It's in God's word. you got to know where it is. It's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I came to bear witness to the truth. I am the living truth. What I say is reality. By that. Know God's word. By that. The word of God is the truth. And the son of God reveals the truth. If you're going to buy it, you're going to have to know where to get it and where to find it. The Bible is the source of God's revelation. Listen, let me say one thing to you straight up as a young person. If you're going to buy the truth, you're going to have to know where it is, know what it is, and know where to find it. Your culture, the world in which you live, is not promoting what's true. You're going to have to find the universities, the colleges, the churches, the places where the Bible's taught and Jesus Christ is communicated. If you're going to buy the truth, you've got to be in a place to receive the truth, to acquire it. Because every place is not promoting the truth. If you're going to buy the truth, you're going to have to pursue the truth. If you buy something, you've got to seek it out. You've got to find it, and then you have to be willing to pay for it. If you go on eBay and you want something, you've got to know what it is you're looking for. You type something in and say, Hey, I want to find this. So up come the options. Then you find the option you want. You decide, Hey, I have the resources to get what it is I want. You make your bid. Part of the bidding process is when you make your bid, you have to commit to pay for what you bid. And then in the end, you're going to push a button that says, I commit to buy this. Buying something means I'm willing to spend resources for it. Buying something means I have to pursue it. Buying something means I have to commit to it and I have to value it enough to pay for it. Time, effort, and energy. I want to just listen to this about the truth. The truth is the most valuable thing that you can possess because it's what God says he values. When, when God passed by Moses in Exodus 33, he revealed his glory. Do you know part of what God revealed when he revealed his glory about himself? He said, I'm full of compassion and truth. God is glorified in the truth because God possesses truth. He's identified with it. The psalmist said he's the God of truth. When he talked to Moses, he told Moses, find for me men of the truth and appoint them leadership. I value it. I'm glorified by it. I'm identified by it. And I want people with it to lead my people. When you buy something, you have to value something. Part of the reason you want to value truth is because God values truth. And he values people who possess the truth. He identifies himself with the truth. And the reality of what is true is in God's word. And is revealed in the person of God's son. So here's my advice tonight. Buy that. Invest in that. Don't neglect that. Do what it takes to get that. To know God. Study your study. Paul said study to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study means put forth every effort to the point of pain. Some of you play athletic sports. In order to be a good player at anything. You got to work hard. You have to pay the price. This is an athletic term that says whatever it takes, however much pain, do whatever it takes to the point of pain to know God's word so you can rightly understand the truth. Do the work. Invest your life. Take your time. Get in places where people are going to provide you the truth. Get around people that are going to provide it. Get around institutions that are going to communicate it. Do what it takes to get it. The greatest education you can have is in the knowledge of the truth found in God's Word. You can have degrees and you can have university accolades, but if you do not know the truth of God's Word, you are not educated. Invest in the truth. Spend your time. Spend your energy. Spend your money to get what is valuable to God and which will allow you to flourish and prosper in life. Get it. You have books. You have the internet which can harm you or help you. Find teachers. Find leaders. You're in a good church where the the truth is taught. Make sure that if you're going to a secular institution, if you end up in a, I went to a public high school, I went to a private university, um, an Ivy League school in New England, which wouldn't know the truth if it ran them over. Okay, I went to Brown. The only thing I heard that was true that I remember was in math class. Didn't hear the truth in philosophy, didn't hear it in education, didn't hear it in my political science classes. One of the most dangerous places a young person can go today is to a secular institution. Because you're going to have, this is what I know about you, and this comes from me as the campus pastor working in the world of education. One of the things that young people respect today is education. If you have degrees, you have credibility. If you have credibility, you have influence. When you go to an institution and somebody has multiple letters behind their name, there's the implication that they have They have credibility. So what they say influences you. Just because a person has a PhD or multiple degrees doesn't mean they know the truth. And when you go to a secular institution, you have people that are very learned in terms of degree. And there is a propensity for them to influence you. You've got to know the truth so that you're safe in a world that doesn't promote the truth. Secular institutions do not promote the truth. Matter of fact, they frown on the declaration that anything is absolute. Matter of fact, they'll typically say the truth is progressive. As you develop, you get to understand, no, the truth is not progressive. The truth is what is. It's reality. So if you go to a secular institution, make sure you're in a good Bible study, make sure you're in a good church, make sure you get the support you need so that when somebody with learned a degree says things that seem smart and intelligent, that they don't lead you astray by the truth. And whatever you do, don't sell it. If you go to a Christian institution, make sure it's a real Christian institution. The only place more dangerous than a secular university is a Christian, quasi-Christian institution that says they're Christian, but then you have people with learned a degree say, you know what, the Bible can't really trust it. You know that Genesis account? That's myth. Make sure you buy the truth and you don't sell it. Don't sell out to it. Don't compromise it. Don't neglect it. Don't dilute it. Buy it and don't sell it. If you're in a public high school, you're in a situation where people don't believe in the truth. They don't believe the Bible is true. Despite all the things you could say. What do you mean the Bible isn't true? What other religious book predicts the future? Not the Hindu book, the Vedas. Not the book of Quran. Not the book of Mormon. They make no predictions. The Bible makes Hundreds of predict. Why? Because God said in Isaiah 44, I'm going to tell you before it happens so that you know when it happens, I'm God. Because nobody can predict the future but God. So the Bible's full of prophetical statements that happen years and prophecies made. 700 years later, prophecies realized. Hey, we're, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. A nation from this direction is going to come and destroy it. Then it's going to get rebuilt. And I'm going to tell you the guy's name who's going to rebuild it. And I'm going to tell you that Cyrus is my servant. The king of Persia is going to rebuild Jerusalem after it's been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to tell you that way before it happens so that when it happens, you know I'm God. And I'm God alone and there's nobody like me. There's no book like that. The Bible's that book. The Bible is trustworthy, it's true, you can bank your life on it. Buy it and don't ever sell it. Know it and don't abandon it. Buy the truth, don't sell it. Because the Bible and Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the revelation of truth is the reality that helps you know how to live your life, how to make choices. So that you have wisdom. God what do I do? It's in my word. I'll guide you by my spirit. Listen to my son. And prosper in life. Proverbs 23 is the king to his people. The king to his family saying prosper. Buy the truth. And don't sell it. Three truths I want to leave you with. You got to buy these. Number one. God is redemptive. God is a rescuer. Truth number one is the main story of the Bible. God is good. God is holy. Man is not good. And man is broken. But God redeems and he rescues. Look, the big story of the Bible is God created everything for good and for his glory. The big story of the Bible is man was damaged by evil and by choice. The big story of the Bible says the consequences of that damage and that evil is death, both physical and eternal. The big story of the Bible is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God became a man in order to rescue and redeem, to take the broken And to restore, to rescue and redeem, to take the unholy and make them holy. The big story of the Bible is there's none righteous, no, not one. But God in his grace and God out of his love sent his son to pay for the broken, sinful humanity and the wages of sin is death. Jesus became our substitute. The big story of the Bible is God sent his son to rescue and redeem. Jesus died, paid the death that we deserved so that we could enjoy the life that he gives. Here's the big story and the truth you have to buy and don't ever sell it. 68% of people say there's no way to tell whether any religion is right or different than any other religion. 72% say that Jesus is not the only way to God. God says in in his truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're going to come to the Father, you've got to come by me. God is a rescuer. He sent his Son to rescue Because we're broken, damaged by the fall. The wages of our sin is death. Jesus died as a substitute to satisfy a debt we cannot pay. And he became, here's a big biblical word, a truth word in Romans chapter 3. He became the propitiation. The public display and the propitiation for our sin. Do you know what the word propitiation means? a big word. Rarely gets used. It's very, very important. Propitiation is a payment or a satisfaction made so that a relationship can be restored. If I tell my wife, I'm going to be home for dinner. I'm going to take you. Actually, I'm going to come home and I'm going to take you out to dinner. I'm coming home from work early. I'm going to take you out to dinner. You be ready at 7, I'm going to take you to a nice restaurant, you be ready, I'll be home from work taking you out to dinner. I show up at 10 o'clock at night, not at 7 to take her out to dinner, I show up at 10. I come to the door, I knock because the door's locked and she's not going to let me in. I'm teasing. I come to the door, I open the door, I walk in. What do I see? Happy girl, unhappy girl. Unhappy girl. Knowing that she'd be unhappy because I made a promise I didn't keep. From behind my back, I whip out some flowers. You know what that's called? A propitiation. That's called a peace offering. That's called a reason to not treat me like I deserve to be treated. To which she says, if you think that's sufficient, it's going to take more than that. So what is it going to take? The propitiation is whatever the offended party says it takes to make it right. So Karen, what would it take? A pony. (laughs) My wife loves horses. So the chances are the flower. You know what this is going to take? This is going to take a pony. (laughs) The offended party. The offended party defines what it takes to fix what is ruined or broken. To make it right. God is the offended party. What he says will make it right is the public display of his son as a suffering sacrifice. He made a public display, a propitiation for us. And that propitiation that satisfied God was Jesus, and that's the truth. And there's no amount of good you can do. There's no amount of nice things you can do. It requires Jesus, and he's the only satisfaction. Here's the truth you've got to buy. You have to trust and receive as a gift what God gave in the gift of his son who did for you what you couldn't do. He satisfied a debt you couldn't pay to make right what was wrong with the creator. And that is by faith because of God's amazing grace. You receive it like a gift buy that truth and don't let anybody ever talk you out of it. I had a guy who worked on Karen's barn. We we did have horses. She loves horses. I love her. So I'm the ranch hand and we had horses. We had a guy work on our farm to restore our barn. We had an old barn built in the 60s and it needed some work and this guy came and he did great work. And one day he and I got to talking and He had been a multimillionaire. He lost his money. lost his business. He ended up in a small house. He said he actually lived in a car for a while. He got super depressed. He was on drinking and doing drugs just to make his world work. And we got to talking one day. And he communicated the desperate condition of his life and his situation. And he wanted to know what he had to do to fix what was broken with God. And on an evening in central Alabama, Tommy said to the God of heaven, I know there's nothing I can do. I do believe that what Jesus did was sufficient for me, and I want to receive like a gift what he did. I got a text from Tommy last week. Tommy's uh, in, in Birmingham, and I baptized him. I got to baptize his wife, I got to baptize his daughter. Tommy texted me last week, and the reason I'm telling you this story is because he said, you can't believe what has happened in my life because God pursued me, rescued me, and changed me. I have my own business. I'm leading my family. And I just wanted to reach out and remind you Of what happened that night. We worked all night painting the barn together. The truth is. God changes lives. Because he's a rescuer. And he's a redeemer. Buy that. And don't ever sell it. The last thing I want to say to you tonight to buy. Is buy the fact that God is a purposeful pursuer. And he wants to use you, if you're his child, to pursue others so that they might get rescued. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, We are the ambassadors of Christ on behalf of God, begging men to be reconciled to God. The last truth I want you to buy is God has chosen you, if you are his child, to be an agent of influence to pursue others that he's pursuing God pursues people he doesn't just rescue them he pursues them and the truth is he uses you to pursue people for himself and i want to encourage you to buy the truth that i'm if i'm a christian if you've received the gift of god's grace That he's appointed you an agent of that grace to communicate to the people that he's put you in relationship with. God is a purposeful pursuer, and he uses people like you to pursue people that he's seeking to rescue. A couple years ago, I flew out to California. I was on the board at Masters before I became the campus pastor. I was flying out to Los Angeles. I transitioned in Houston. As I was getting on my plane in Houston, I had a couple in front of me and they were obviously in love. And as we got onto the plane, it surprised me because though they came onto the plane together looking like they were in love and together, they didn't sit together. And the woman sat down across from me and there were three seats on each side. I sat on the aisle. That's where I wanted to be and So I sit on the aisle and across from me, she sits in the middle and the guy walks on back and I thought, Ah, I thought they were together. Maybe they're not together and just paid attention. She got down and began to get seated and get my stuff settled. And as, uh, as I was getting settled into my seat, I heard the lady ask the guy next to her on her side, hey, will you swap seats with my husband so we can fly together to Los Angeles so we can sit together? And the guy said, sure. And then the next thing he said was, oh, by the way, does your husband have an ILC? To which she said, no, he's in the middle. And he said, the guy on the aisle, he said, oh, no, I won't swap for a middle. Now, if you fly much at all, you understand that the middle is death. Okay, the middle is really tight. There's no room. You can't get out. You don't have the window seat with the extra room and the vision. You don't have the aisle where you can get out when you want. The middle is death. Okay, so I understood why he rejected the opportunity, but she didn't. So she turned to the guy next to the guy on the other side, the window seat, and said, hey, will you trade with my husband? He had heard. Not for the middle. Well, you could tell that that was a... Big disappointment to her. The next thing I knew, she got up out of her seat and she went back. The next thing I know is the guy she was with, who t- her husband, had come up and sat in the middle between these two guys. My interpretation is I don't want to sit with these two guys. So I'm sitting there watching all of this. And I hear in my mind, Harry, you can fix this. And it was like somebody spoke to me, but nobody spoke to me. What do you mean I can fix this? How can I fix this? Well, you can trade with the guy on the aisle across from you. Because he'll trade for an aisle seat. And then you can trade with her husband and you can sit in the middle and he can sit on the aisle. You can fix this. I can fix this. To which I said, oh, no, I don't want to sit in the middle. <laughs> it's only two hours and 20 minutes from Houston to Los Angeles. It's not that big of a deal. The next thought I had was this one. So you won't do this for me? That's how plain it was. Well, my spiritual stencil started to turn on. I'm going, you know what? I'm gonna, I was preaching at Masters on Monday at Chapel so this is a Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you. <laughs> you want me to sit in the middle? I'll ride in the middle. Lean over to the guy. Hey, will you swap seats with me? Yeah, yeah, swap seats with me so I can swap with her husband. He swapped, I sw- swap with the wife now because she's at the back. So I've swapped seats. The husband who's in the middle, it's ready. He's, he's amazed that this is going to happen. He said, I'm going to go get my wife. I said, no, just tell me her name. Tell me where she's sitting and I'll go get her. So I went back. Her name was Annette. She's in 18B, right in the middle. I'm in 14C. So I walked back to 18B, Say, Annette. She was stunned that I knew her name. Mm-hmm. Annette, I'm swapping seats with you so you can sit with your husband. This is the truth. Annette, who had never met in my life, gets up out of her seat and hugs me. She's so excited to sit with her husband. She goes and sits with her husband. I sit in the middle, 18B. I texted Karen and said, if the plane goes down, I'm not in 14C. I'm in 18B. My spiritual sensors are on, so I'm going, okay. I'm starting to get in the game. Maybe God wants me to share the gospel with the person on the right or person on the left. I got two people here. The guy on the right puts his Beats headphones on and starts to go to sleep. Not him. I look over to her gal. She whips out a book out of her bag. How to be a praying wife by Stormy Omardian. She's a Christian. So I'm not going to share with her. He's out of the game. Maybe I'm just supposed to sit. So I get my books out prepared to sit in the middle seat for the two hours and 20 minutes. And the guy, the husband, sitting in the seat next to his wife now, which would have been 14A, 14 B, 14 D, E, 14D looks back and waves at me. And, and, and he, he's doing this. And I'm going, what's he doing? It's okay, thank you. No problem, it's good. And and then he does this, and he's pointing. He's pointing on a plane full, 15C. I started in 14C. 15C is empty. Seat on the aisle is empty. One row back from where I started. There's a guy in 15B and a guy in 15A. The guy in 15B is supposed to move to the aisle, not sit with the guy next to him. He didn't move. So I'm excited. (laughs) Plane's taxiing. Can't get out of my seat. But I'm watching 15C. And I'm thinking, maybe God's not going to make me sit in the middle. Maybe it was a test. Plane gets airborne. We get to the elevation where the captain turns out the seatbelt sign and you can move. And I move like that out of 18 B, 15 C Settle in. Got the guy and the girl sitting just in front of me. And I'm thinking, maybe I'm supposed to share the gospel with them, but I don't want to leverage this. So I'll wait. We'll see how it goes. They're so happy. Then they begin to talk. They don't turn around again no more conversation I'm thinking well God just wanted to test me now I get to sit in the aisle one row back from where I started one hour out of Los Angeles got my books out my Bible open I'm preaching in the next the next the next morning the guy next to me in 15 B leans over and says can I borrow your Bible I said what do you, sure what, what do you need to borrow my Bible this is what he says because I'm seeking to find out if Jesus is a real person. I'm seeking to know if it's true. And I look over and on his, his little tray is Tacitus, a Roman historian, talking about the historical Jesus. And the guy wants to know if Jesus is real. To which I said, the Jesus you're seeking Is seeking you. Because he ping-ponged me from 14C to 18B to get in 15C so we could talk. I can share my Bible. I actually know the Jesus and the book you're reading. Because the Jesus you're seeking is seeking you. I'm a Christian. And I can tell you about the Jesus you're seeking. Because the Jesus you're seeking is seeking you. So for the next hour, we talked about the historical Jesus. We talked about the truth of the Bible and who Jesus Christ is. Cameron was the creative arts producer, creative producer for The Family Guy, a TV show. He's seeking the Lord. He has two small children. And God parked a person next to him. Who knew the Jesus he was seeking. And you know why that happened? Truth number two to buy. God to pursue her. And he uses people to pursue the people he's pursuing. When the plane landed I gave him, gave him my information. We shared contact information. He said gave him a lot to think about. Answered a lot of questions. Getting off the airplane. I'm walking down the concourse of LAX. And two ladies were walking in front of me and I'd help them put their bags up. They started in 14 with me. And their bags were loaded with concrete blocks and they couldn't get them up in the thing. And I'd help them up and I helped them with those bags down. And we're walking through the concourse and I'm following them. And I'm telling you, can you imagine how it feels to be a Christian who's a part of something God had done? So I'm feeling like, wow, can you believe that just happened, God? And one of the ladies who had helped with the bags turned around and said this. Thank you. And I said, no, no problem. I was happy to help you with your bags. She said, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with that guy. I said, you heard? She said, oh, yeah, and I was praying the whole time. She was in 14, listening to the conversation in 15. I said, you're a Christian? She said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, where are you from? She said, Los Angeles. I said, there are Christians in Los Angeles? (laughs) She had been in Houston at her son's golf tournament. And she was flying home, and she was listening to the conversation, and she was my prayer support. And she said, man. You made my trip. I said, no, the seeking Savior made our trip. Now I tell you that story because I want you to know. I want you to buy this truth. That if you're a Christian, God wants to use you in the life of another person that he is proactively pursuing. And when he sits you somewhere, don't presume it's just accidental. Assume it's a sovereign seat for a sovereign Savior who's seeking people. Buy that truth. Build your life on that truth. And don't ever sell it. Because he not only rescues, he uses people like you to pursue. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the time tonight. I know we've had a fun time this evening. What a great venue. What a great place. Lord, I pray for these young men and women. That they'll value what you value. That they'll buy the truth. They'll do what it takes to invest in it. They'll study your Bible. They'll get with people that know it better than they know it. That can help them understand it. They'll invest their life. They'll invest their resources. They'll buy the truth. And they won't sell out. Lord, they'll live it out. Lord, I commit them to you. And Lord, if there's somebody here that's not bought the truth that you're a rescuer, that Jesus is the Redeemer, I pray that they would buy that. They would recognize that he died for them. He did what they couldn't do. He propitiated. He satisfied. And he offers as a gift his life for theirs. Lord, I pray that you'll use us all To be an instrument of your pursuing purposeful grace. Lord I pray in Jesus name. This advice would change a life. And I thank you for our time tonight. Amen.